This is a Radio.com original. This is Coronavirus Daily, World on Pause. I'm Mike Simpson from the KNX Radio.com studios in L.A. And I'm Ken Charles, sitting in today for Charles Feldman. As always, the latest on the coronavirus pandemic. Concern is growing again, yep, again, that hospitals all over the country will be overrun with coronavirus cases. Remember flattening the curve? The goal is to ease the strain of hospitals and medical centers so they wouldn't have to turn away patients. You thought we were done with that in March and April, but that fear may be turning in reality now. Some hospitals are drawing up plans to ration care if they have more patients than beds. Some are even considering sending patients elsewhere for treatment if there's just no room. That's the kind of worst-case scenario they've been hoping to avoid. We'll get into how the country's healthcare system is going to handle this crisis. So it's bad, but we don't want to sound all doom and gloom. There is some good news on the treatment front, so we will talk about that. We'll look into what's up with the economy as well. Will it continue to march upwards, or will the pandemic derail things once again? But we start with the hospitals and whether they can handle the current rise in cases. Dr. Janice Orlowski, Chief Health Officer for the Association of American Medical Colleges, I talked to her along with Chris Seedens about whether she was concerned that we are going in decidedly the wrong direction. We are headed in that direction again right now. We are seeing the number of cases um, go up all across the country. We are headed into the winter months. Uh, If we take a look at the 1918 pandemic, we know that the second winter was worse than the first. And um, there are many similarities between that pandemic and this. And so Things are on the uptake, and um, we are uh, we are going to have a very difficult couple of months ahead of us. I think it's confusing for some people, though, when they hear a few different things. Number one, they understand cases are going up all over the place, but we also know people are surviving this better. There are more treatment options, so the death rates haven't necessarily followed with the same kind of uptick. But is it just a numbers game, a sheer number of people? The more who get a case, there are more likely to be people who get very, very ill, and those people wind up in the hospitals. And there's only so much room at the end of the day. I, I think that's it. And, and, and you are right. Um, you know, if you take a look at what we know today as compared to what we knew in March and April, we are significantly um, smarter um, in understanding what to do, what therapies, how to treat people, how to monitor them. And that experience has certainly paid off as we have taken a look at this second wave. And so that is to our benefit. Um, we know when to treat people earlier. There's experience with Decadron. We've had some uh, experimental drugs. Uh, remdesivir has been used. So th- this all makes us smarter in approaching it. But in the end, you're right. It ends up being a numbers game in that there are more people who are being affected. And so even though the number who get very sick is smaller, um, it is still a, a large number of people. We heard so much about the need for ventilators in the first wave of COVID. Are less people needing ventilators this time around? The the answer is, is that we find that to keep people having sufficient oxygen without ventilators and that it may be better not to use ventilators. And so we use a number of different strategies before we would actually put people on ventilators. So so you're likely to see less ventilators used, but then I would caution you that as someone gets very sick, in the end, that may be the only thing that can be used, but we don't see the pinch 
of using ventilators at this time. Take me into, you know, an ER or a COVID unit at a hospital when they're looking ahead and they've, they've hopefully got what they need in terms of PPE for the next couple of months by now. But there is a space issue. You can only fit so many people in, right? And then there's the issue of just keeping the healthcare workers healthy, because if we start to have them quarantined for two weeks, then there's nobody to treat you. Right. So let me start with your um, first uh, statement. Um, do we have enough PPE? The answer is no. We are beginning to see gaps in the supply of PPE. We're seeing um, uh, gaps with N95 respirators. Um, we see uh, problems with getting sufficient gloves. We're seeing problems with getting sufficient gowns. And I have to say, it's very frustrating that we're so many months uh, into this pandemic and that we're once again starting to see these problems. Then in regards to the healthcare workers, um, healthcare workers have been at this for months and months. And um, even though in many areas the numbers did go down, they didn't go down as far as we would have liked to have seen. And so people have been um, working and dealing with this for a long time. What's happening? Um, I'll give you a couple examples. I talked to the folks at Utah yesterday, and they are having to rotate the kinds of people who are working in their ICUs. So they have some of their intensivists who usually work in the pediatric unit are going to be working in the adult unit. They have individuals who, um, you know, in other places where anesthesiologists who usually are taking people, taking care of people in surgery, they're up in the ICUs helping. So there's a, a just the, a, a continued rotation in trying to use um, as many of the resources of the people that we have. Then as far as the number of ICUs, we're seeing that institutions are once again expanding their ICUs into other areas. And if you look at Milwaukee, and Wisconsin has been particularly hit, um, in, in Milwaukee, they've actually opened up a COVID unit on the state fair um, grounds to take care of individuals who are um, ill, who need treatment, um, who are from the rural areas of Wisconsin. And so they're bringing them down. Um, they're in this new facility and they're being managed by um, the, the academic health centers that are in the region. And so you're seeing a number of different strategies to try to increase capacity for those who are ill. Dr. Janice Orlowski, Chief Health Officer, Association of American Medical Colleges. Doctor, thank you. Like I said earlier, things aren't all bad out there. They may look it, sometimes they may even feel it, <laughs> but honestly, they just aren't all that bad all the time. Doctors and researchers are studying treatment to help people recover quicker from this virus. There's actually a clinical trial right now in LA involving an antibody therapeutic that's showing a lot of promise. Yeah, Dr. Peter Chen directs the Division of Pulmonary and Critical Care Medicine at Cedars-Sinai Medical Center. He's been helping run the Eli Lilly drug trials. Chris and I asked him about what he's found in terms of his trial here in Los Angeles. In this study, what we were doing was we were testing mild and moderate patients that were diagnosed with COVID-19 and essentially aiming for the outpatients and early on in their course uh, within three days of getting diagnosis. Uh, and when we tested this antibody in that particular population, um, the primary endpoint was to look for viral load. And what they did find was that uh, there was a significant drop in the uh, viral load of patients at day 11 
um, with the middle dose, the 20, 2800 dose, but not with the 700 or the 7000 milligram dose. Um, the secondary endpoints, uh, they looked at also viral load at other time points, um, and they found a, a, a more dramatic uh, decrease at day three when you look at all the doses together. But then what was really interesting was that um, if you look at hospitalization and ER visits, we had a pretty profound uh, drop in that uh, in comparison to control, uh, the placebo, um, as well as they, the patients who got the drug tended to have uh, improvement in their symptoms a lot faster than the placebo. Okay, so if we're going to summarize, this is something that if we go all the way through and, and find out more about it, that you would hope to give early because A, it can get you feeling better faster at home preferably and keep you out of the hospital or B, if you do have to go in, it's going to shorten your stay. You're going to have a better outcome if you catch it quick. That's exactly right. The, the hope is that we can treat uh, infected patients as early as possible uh, because this is an antiviral therapy. And so we want to get uh, the virus level down as soon as we can so that it limits the amount of damage that it can do to the body. Um, you know, right now our current um, therapy is remdesivir, but that's really only for inpatients. And so um, it, this really kind of opens up an opportunity for the really early on, particularly those that have higher risks, to see if we can prevent them from having uh, a progression of their disease to where they need to be hospitalized. Uh, you know, the, this is a very small study. Uh, it was only 400 patients, uh, 450 in all among all the groups, uh, with about 100 within each dosing group. And so it wasn't really powered to uh, look at um, these clinical endpoints, but we did find a signal there, uh, which was uh, pretty profound uh, if you look at just the numbers. Um, and it, it, when you really kind of start chopping it uh, into uh, subgroups and looking at those with high risk, um, the, the difference was even uh, more dramatic. Uh, and so the hope is that uh, this uh, will provide that opportunity for those at high risk of getting worse. Okay. Yeah. And it kind of falls in line with some of the other things we've, we've seen this week. How, I mean, we've been searching right for a, a Tamiflu. We've used this comparison before. I think even with you, you got to get something that your doctor can give you so you can write it out at home and it's going to make a difference in a couple of days. This is probably not as easy as that, right? It's, it's intravenous. So how in practice would it work? So uh, it, the, the practical part of it is something that still needs to be worked out. Um, it is not available yet. You know, there is an EUA application in place by uh, Eli Lilly as well as uh, Regeneron um, for their uh, drug. And so um, if it were to be approved, uh, essentially we'd have to find a space where patients can get infused. If we parse it out between those who are at very high risk or just every demographic group, does this end up helping everyone or the high risk people more? The high-risk people are the ones that are at most risk of getting worse. Um, if you look at the data of this study, and it kind of lays out with you know other uh, studies, and that the majority of people actually are going to do fine. Um, the problem is, is you don't know who's going to be that one that actually does worse. Uh, and so uh, there, this drug will have some limits in the amount that they can produce. Uh, because it is a biologic, it is the manufacturing is going to be slower and, and, and the quantity is going to be less than uh, other types of medicines. And so, um, at least initially, it probably uh, would be best to try to restrict it for those that are at higher risk of developing worse disease so that you really can have, uh, you can maximize uh, the medicine and uh, the um, efficacy of it in preventing people from getting worse. Because it's really a matter of odds. Doctor, before this conversation, we were talking a hospital 
surge, hospital capacity, with the caseloads across the country uh, on the rise. How are things at Cedars? How are you guys doing? You know, California in general is actually still doing okay. If you look at the numbers, um, they're starting to, to tick up a little bit. Uh, but relative to other states, if you normalize the population, um, we're actually um, on the lower end of things. And so uh, accordingly at Cedars, it reflects that that um, our COVID population is still not as bad as it was. Um, the, the biggest concern is that uh, things might change, but you know, um, we're going to only hope that uh, things continue to stay at a low level here for us. Dr. Peter Chen at Cedars-Sinai. Short break, and then are we sliding into a depression? And we're back on Coronavirus Daily. Numbers came out showing the economy is recovering from the earliest days of the pandemic. But you wouldn't know it looking at the stock market, especially today. (laughs) Don't look at your 401k (laughs) yesterday or today. Turn away. This has been a really, really tough week for Wall Street. So what's ahead just before and just after the election? What happens if there's no stimulus or if the virus just keeps on going the way things are going? David Fiorenza is back, business professor at the Villanova School of Business. He chatted with KYW's Matt Leon about the health of the economy. A lot of things are happening um, this week. A lot of companies came out with earnings. Some were good, some were bad. Uh, Apple stock is down, for instance, as a as an example. But a lot of it's profit taking. Uh, we are October thirtieth. Uh, one day from Halloween, and traditionally in the stock market, they call that the witching hour, the end of the month, where anything goes, anything happens. Uh, the stock market is a little superstitious, and the people that work there, the people that follow it too as well. It's a little bit of a gamble, as you know, a little bit of risk involved. So I think a lot of this is profit-taking leading into next week's election. Are we seeing any uh, ramifications of because I think we've talked before how the market had kind of priced in that there was going to be more stimulus and obviously there hasn't been. Are we seeing some ramifications of that as well? People realizing that at least for the short term here that that stimulus isn't coming. That that's good. That's great to bring this up right now because I'm seeing that not only with um, the top thirty stocks but even with let's say pharmaceutical stocks as well. So they're reacting to to the market going down. All the pharmaceutical stocks that are possibly working on vaccines. So we're not just seeing it with the top Dow thirty industrials. We're seeing it with so many other stocks that they had built into it the fact that that stimulus package should have been passed. And it would be at least rolling out sometime in mid-November, end of November, just in time for Christmas. GDP, we saw a huge jump. I think everybody expected it was going to be big. Talk about the number, what you saw. Was it about what you expected for the third quarter? It was, Matt. I was thinking around 30%. And to get a 33% surge is really good, especially when savings this year has increased by 14%. We're seeing spending up between 1.3 to 1.4 in September. We're seeing personal income up by about 0.9% in September. Some of those factors build in, people were spending. Now, as I've said in previous weeks, you and I have discussed this. I still think a lot of this is driven uh, online sales. It's driven on the internet. Sure, there's always going to be those sales in the stores, but I still think a lot of these things are driven by a lot of your uh, companies that are able to sell online and survive that way. Give us some understanding of how the this works with the GDP we had the the huge the small fall the first quarter obviously off a cliff with the pandemic in the second are we back to to even or is there still a lot of work to do 
there's still a lot of work to do. We're for the year negative, and we're not sure what's going to happen in the fourth quarter. Uh, I've been discussing this with economists. Some think it's going to go down. Some think it's going to go up. I think it's not going to be 30 percent surge in the fourth quarter, but I obviously think it could be four or five percent, which could get us even for the year. And that's not the best of news when when we had this pandemic, because a lot of things were shut down and shut down for a long time. People out of work. Most of the two thirds, which is most of GDP, is consumption. The rest of it is investment, government and then the, the exports and imports. So government spending, even though it was shut down, government still spent but that's a smaller portion of the GDP. In other words, all of our public safety departments, public works departments, we're still doing their duties. Some of them at a reduced rate, uh, investment slowed a little bit. So that means institutional investment. That means investment for buildings, machinery, equipment, factories, new malls, all those kinds of things. So two thirds is consumption and leading into the fourth quarter, uh, we'll see what happens after Halloween. Yeah, I mean, we've kind of talked about this the last, but what from people you talk to, and I know you, you talk to a lot of small business owners, with regards to the Christmas, the holiday shopping season, are they hopeful? Are they nervous? We're seeing the virus start to rage again in a lot of areas, and I don't think we'll see complete shutdowns again. I don't know that there's the political will to do that, but... It's going to be tough. Uh, what are you hearing from people about their 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 concerns and hopes for the holiday shopping season? Sure. This week, spending lots of time with with municipal leaders, whether on phone or by Zoom, and also talking to local business owners, uh, they feel pretty good. The areas of concern are all the tourist areas, such as Las Vegas coming up for the holidays, such as Orlando, Disney, and even Disney in California. You know, a lot of these places are, um, the way they can get their business back on track is to get the airlines back on track because we travel to a lot of those places. You and I, it's easy for us to go up Northeast Extension to go to the Poconos. That's only an hour or so, two hours away. But if we want to take a trip to, to Colorado to see the Rockies or see something else of that nature, we have to go by plane. It's going to take us a couple of days to drive. So I think a lot of the concerns in this country has to do with the airlines. Once the airlines and the hotel industry starts to open up a little bit more and people have to feel confident traveling. They may not still feel confident traveling at this point. So that means places like the Jersey Shore and all of our places down in Washington, D.C., the Monument, all the places we visit. The Smithsonian is only a few hour drive. Let's take advantage of that and support uh, our tri-state area and all the great things that we have in this area. You're starting to hear now some of the public health experts like the Dr. Fauci talk about life now not getting back to normal till the end of 20, like a year from now. Like, I think a lot of people had kind of priced in that once we got to the spring, we'd be, yeah. you know, do we appreciate what this could do to the economy if we're still in these if not locked down these, you know, only so many people out and there's going to be a certain percentage of the the population that's still not going to feel comfortable. I mean, can we get our head around what this might look like in a year from an economic standpoint? 
we, we could still be in the same situation. I, when that, when that, that press conference came out or the interview came out, Matt, I, I talked to at least a half a dozen nonprofits and I told them, be prepared next year. Hope for the best, expect the worst. And they said, what do you mean? I said, you have to prepare like, like you're living in New Orleans and the next <laughs> hurricane is coming uh, to you and you have to board up your building for you know, a while. This is what some of the nonprofits were, were hoping to that after December, we it would all this would go away. I said, you better you better plan now. You better plan for next year. We don't know what's going to happen, and if, and if it doesn't happen, then that's a good thing. At least you had contingency plans in place for your budget, contingency plans in place for your personnel, and contingency plans in place to look for uh, other funding from grants. Because as you know, you and I talked. There may not be another CARES Act that would that comes out. They have to look for other sources of grant revenues uh, income. Obviously, retail sales will be huge, a huge indicator here in the next couple months. As we turn the corner towards the finale of 2020, are there any other economic indicators you'll really be keeping an eye on to, to see what direction we're going as we head into the new year? I will take a look at housing. As we spoke last week, you had mentioned that the housing bubble. I, I want to see what's going to happen in the fourth quarter, uh, because traditionally at the end of the year, that's when housing sales aren't as high as the summertime because people like to move in the summer. Uh, and this area, you know, as, as we get colder weather, you're not going to get as many homes being built. So all the subdivisions that I see in the Delaware County and Montgomery, Chester County, they're really trying to push that through by the end of November to try to get some sample homes up. Uh, if we keep interest rates low, and I know Jerome Powell at the Fed has talked about that, then housing may not be hit as bad as I think it'll be hit in the first quarter and second quarter of next year. But that's what I'm taking a look at all the housing starts because of the multiplier effect. It affects so many different industries, Matt. Researchers in New York, they've come up with a way to look for a potential coronavirus treatment without having to test on animals. That's good. By the way, speaking of testing on animals, I never understood, like, um, makeup companies. How do they test on animals? <laughs> Little eyeliner for the monkey or something. Exactly. What's it going to do for him? You know, you, you, you put lipstick on a pig, which is, by the way... <laughs> You know, sometimes what we try to do in management, but that's for another day. It's a whole different story. So these guys use structures that look like miniature human organs. They grow them in a lab. It's like a Halloween movie now. To behave like human lungs and colons is a way to rapidly screen drugs and figure out which ones work. They say these so-called organoids more faithfully mimic the complex cell types and structure of human tissues. Wow. They screened 1,200 FDA-approved drugs, found that the activity was shown against the virus, including the cancer drug Gleevec by Novartis, currently being tested in four different COVID clinical trials. Wait, go back to organoids. Wasn't that a George Romero movie? <laughs> it was right after Dawn of the Living Dead, I think, was, yes. you know, Dawn of the Living Organoids. They're coming for you slowly, so run fast. Run really fast. And while you're running fast, run fast to get this Radio.com original podcast and others on Radio.com, the Radio.com app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. And please be sure, if you like what you've heard, despite the economy and the movie Organoids, <laughs> hit the subscribe button.